I mean, John, I traveled the world today. The girl who used to sleep in her truck or find herself hungover, blacked out on the side of I-20 with two dogs and a cat who couldn't pay rent. Today, I'm going to Egypt. I went to Antarctica. I carry the message when I do go to these places. I talk to women, to young women and to young adolescent women in Oklahoma. I've been called to come up and speak to them about abuse, sexual abuse, how to take care of themselves, the dignity and dating and knowing who you are and making sure that you know who you are before you find someone to make you whole. It is God who makes us whole. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings from Studio AA, deep in the heart of Texas, or as we say nowadays, Echo in Tejas. I think I got that all right. It's so hard, it's so hard learning a new language. But nonetheless, uh, that was the voice of Andy V that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 311, 311, Trace Uno Uno. And you are going to hear so much more from Andy in un momento, but first things first, this here episode is brought to you by Idaliza and Brad. What you may ask, did Idaliza and Brad do? Well, they went to our humble little website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. So thank you so much, Idaliza and Brad. This here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. All right, so let's, so last week, if you haven't heard Andy's first episode, you want to go back and listen to that. But I wanted to do actually one more thing here before I get into Andy's Andy's, uh, second episode, the follow-up to last week. Rick R. uh, posted this in the Super Secret Facebook group. And in fact, if you are not part of that group and you would like to be, uh, just go to your Facebook application Search up super, no, no, search up, uh, search up, too many S's here, Sober Speak Secret Group, and it's not the regular, there's a Sober Speak page as well, but you want to search up the Sober Speak Secret 
group, the super secret group at that, and uh, ask for admission into the group and we will get you on in. But anyway, Rick R. posted this in the super secret Facebook group and I... It just uh, caught my attention at the right time. I needed to hear this, and perhaps somebody else out there does as well. This is the 11-step prayer. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to be comfort, comfort. I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved, for it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. And that's from the 12 and 12, uh, page 99, uh, known as both the 11th step prayer and sometimes referred to as actually, I think the, uh, it is the prayer of St. Francis that we uh, uh, have so readily adopted here in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. But anyway, thank you so much for posting that in there, Rick. Like I said earlier, that was something I needed to focus on today and hopefully it'll help somebody else out there as well. Now, on to Andy V, part two, and this one's called God Makes Us Whole. So let me just say this. We were just getting, Andy was just getting started on part one. Uh, This one, uh, I know you were so much going to enjoy, just like you did on the last one, but uh, go back and listen to Andy V's first part if you would like, Uh, but this one's called Andy V, God Makes Us Whole. Uh, We discuss eating disorders, uh, fibromyalgia, elective surgery, sexual abuse, Andy's career path from being a beer cart girl and a paramedic uh, and um, uh, up to her being a a vice president in her current role today. Uh, We talk about Andy's early hysterectomy, trauma, and how to deal with that trauma in a healthy way. We talk about dating apps, (laughs) probably my favorite part of the discussion. We talk about self-esteem, self-worth, forgiveness, and I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about much, much more. That is just the tip of the iceberg with Andy V. She has so much incredible content. So, Sit back, enjoy Andy, and we will have plenty, oh, plenty, oh, listener feedback at the end of this here episode. Enjoy Andy. Okay, everybody, so today we are sitting here again 
with Andy V as a follow-up uh, to her last episode. So Andy, I'm going to have you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live in this great land of ours, if you will, please. Sure. Thanks, Sean. I'm Andy. Uh, and my sobriety date, I'm Andy Alcoholic. My sobriety date is March 13, 2009. And I live in Coppell, Texas, about six miles north of the airport, DFW Airport. Right here in the DFW area, and so, so we've been, so we we got together with Andy once before. We covered several different subjects. Uh, we talked about some of the traveling she does. We talked about the four step inventory, which was really really a, a, a good section of this uh, of that last episode. We talked about some trauma that she had experienced, uh, and 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 many other things. But but I knew we weren't going to get finished in the allotted amount of time we have, so we got Andy back on the mic again. So, Andy, let's just go ahead and try to uh, uh, pick up. Well, I don't know if we're going to pick up exactly where we were last time. We're just going to have some more conversation, right? We're going to get more into when you got sober uh, and and your uh, time during sobriety. But there is one thing I want, there's a couple things I want to ask you about. I've heard you talk about this in meetings before, uh, and that is uh, an eating disorder uh, that I believe you have had, uh, and you share openly about that and what you, especially, well, both men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous suffer with eating disorders. And I just want to, I want you to give a little background on that and then also talk about, um, uh, you just talk about your journey in that arena as it relates to Alcoholics Anonymous. Sure. I firmly believe just from my experience in working with other women and sponsorship, uh, the current my current sponsor has forty three years of sobriety, and I've been working with her for uh, almost twelve years, eleven and a half years or so. Before her, my late sponsor uh, as well. She understood when I started working with my current sponsor, Debbie J. She said to me, because she knew that I had an eating disorder, and my eating disorder is restricting what I eat, not necessarily anorexia or bulimia, but I'll restrict. So I am not intentionally eating and purging, binging and purging, starving myself. I'm restricting what I will eat. And it's, I guess it's probably a tangent off from anorexia, if you will, but it's what I can control. And so when things are out of control, I can control what I consume. So whether it's, you know, Dr. Pepper or that I'm drinking or however much, you know, I can, it's not necessarily punishment to self. It sounds like it could be, but moreover, it is the control when everything else seems out of control. It's, a, it's part of like an obsessive, you know, I guess compulsive sort of, I don't know. I don't know exactly where that comes from as far as where it lands, but for me, it's restricting and or I'll eat enough nutrients, but just enough, not enough calories for more or not enough. And then I'll exercise a little too much or whatever it is. That's to go down that rabbit hole would take us a long time. And I'm not as skilled enough to know. But my sponsor, the reason I brought it up was she said, I know what you're doing. And I've done it. And so for the next month, and it was hard, John, she said, you're feeding me. So whatever you put in your body, you think about me. And so if you don't eat, I don't eat. Mm. If you eat, I eat. 
And she said, when you look in the mirror at the end of the day and you feel okay with what you've had, then I'm okay with what we've had today. But if you get headaches, I have headaches. If you're weak, I'm weak. And it took me getting out of self and thinking about her not eating because I'm restricting because I can't control something instead of turning it over to God or instead of working steps over it or instead of getting the outside help like the book suggests, I'm starving somebody else, so to speak, in a way, or I'm not eating enough, just just enough to get by, not enough to be fulfilled and sustained. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. So, gosh, I hope it's okay to go here. Sure. Uh, I, I believe you had weight reduction surgery at some point. Am I right? Sure, I did. I actually, um, just very recently, um, it, it, well, five years ago, I had a surgery. When I first got sober, I lost 50 pounds in the first year. I think that was just from stopping consuming straight sugar and carbs. You yeah. know, some people gain, some people lose. I lost a lot of weight. I also got very sick physically, which is a big part of my story. I was finally diagnosed um, after going to numerous neurologists and numerous different doctors in the Mayo Clinic even. And no one could figure out why I was having these headaches and, and all the things that were going on with me and the exhaustion. And I was finally diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And the medicine that they wrote for me to take changed my life within four days. I started feeling better. Really? But it also curbed the appetite and I lost weight. So ah. five years ago, I did have a, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'm 5'10 and um, I lost, you know, 50 pounds. So I was probably at an about, you know, a, a, I, I was about an eight, 185 pounds when I got sober. And so, you know, 50 pounds, 135 is not terrible, mm -hmm. but you know, you've been that big for a while, pretty bloated, your skin stretched, you know? And so I had some skin removed. Um, and then I recently did the same thing because I have lost, you know, some weight over time, put it on, taken it off. And so we were actually scheduled to visit and, and to do one of these sessions. And I had actually had a surgery and then had a, a just a hiccup with one of the you know, uh, the elbows on my arms, I had some skin removed from my arms. And, you know, the reason I have done these surgeries, John, is because uh, with outside help and good sponsorship, work in steps continuously, self-esteem and self-worth, um, I have decided I want my insides and my outsides to match. And because I feel like the woman I am today, I feel feminine and I feel strong and I feel like I want to take care of myself physically. I don't feel like it. I do that. I take care of myself physically. I wanted it to mat my body to match, you know, the inside. And, you know, previously in the other episode I mentioned by the grace of God, um, and hard work. I've kept a job that allows me to save up money and do that. Yeah. So I, that's another piece I wanted to talk about here. Uh, it just your professional career. So, okay. So l let me just say this. I can tell when you share at meetings, um, that I, I, I am just assuming, Andy, that your intelligence, your IQ is very high. I, and, and, and I, and I mean, it's a compliment. I mean, I can tell you're really, really smart, but talk about your professional career and, and how it has developed, where it was, kind of like a, where it was, what happened and what it's like now with your professional career. Oh, goodness gracious. Sure. And thank you for saying that. I, it's, it's, it's funny because when you say those words to me, I can hear my late sponsor say, he said that and it sounds great, but you don't believe him, do you? Mm -hmm. 
And it's odd because... You were shaking your head when I said I am like, I don't know who you're talking to sometimes when I hear that. And I think I'm smart, you know, and I think I have the right words and I have a few clues, but I'm actually considered an SME and a, a subject matter expert in a lot of different areas in my career today. And I don't know how I got here except for uh, starting, you know, young. I started working at 15. I wanted to work. It's weird today. A lot of folks don't. We have some different generations behind right. us, don't we? I mean, what are they doing? <laughs> I wanted to drive. These guys don't drive till they're 24. I don't know what they're up to. I wanted to drive at 14. Right. So I, mean, I was driving a tractor or whatever I get a hands on. <laughs> so I, you know, I started working at 15 and I, I started bartending at 18. And, you know, grad, I was always on the front line because I wanted to be in front of people. I wanted to serve. I've always wanted to be of service. And I, I think when I was asked as a child what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said a motivational speaker, and I had heard Zig Ziglar speak. Yeah. I think I saw him on TV. I think my dad was watching it, and so I was like, you know, that's what I want to do when I grow up. It, how odd is that? Like it's six or seven years old, and you, but, which is you are a motiv- I mean, you are a motivational speaker in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I am surprised you're not out on the circuit yet, uh, and or I don't know if you are or not, but uh, no, but I just got it was I was cracking up with a girlfriend of mine the other day. She said, "I'm going to miss your your talk over at you know the the next group I speak in in two weeks, and I said that's okay. You'll catch me in Arlington. They know who I am. They let me choose my date. I'm already on the circuit. Tickets will sell out. You know, and we <laughs> joke, we just joke. But thank you for saying that. My sponsor says it is my greatest gift, and I had no idea that I could speak. And I always ask God to allow me to be a channel, even today. You know, just to allow Him to either speak through me or to say the things that need to be heard. Um, of course, we ad lib and say all the other things too sometimes. But so my career started. Uh, young in front of people, service, serving people, especially in bartending. You know, I got to serve you. It was legal. You were of age. I got better looking the more you drank. I felt better about me. <laughs> then I got to drink. I was the beer cart girl on the golf course, got to play free golf. You know, I got better looking as the day went on. You know, self-esteem was really built up in those you know, younger years. <laughs> the and, beer uh, cart girl. I was the beer girl at a number of golf courses in, in DFW and had a lot of fun. And I met a lot of folks, a lot of celebrities, a lot of folks. One time I remember uh, it was one of the major named baseball players of the time back in the in the mid 90s. And I remember him saying, I need two Miller lights. I need two Miller lights. And there was probably 18 people around me. And I said, you're just going to have to wait. And he said, do you not know who I am? And I said, do you not know who I am? I'm the beer girl. Back up. It was just I remember thinking, you know, but I had all this confidence, but I really didn't. So. To move forward rather, you know, quickly, I moved from that role into um, to paramedicine. And so I was actually an EMS and I was a volunteer firefighter and I was going to school to be a paramedic. Really? I was. And, um, you know, un- unfortunately, at the time I was in school, this was in my 20s, in my early 20s, I was in school uh, for EMS. And um, that's when I lost my my boyfriend, the guy on the white horse I mentioned in the earlier um, session that we right. did. So when you say you lost him, he shot himself in the head in my bedroom and I was there and we had just all been out drinking a group of us. And, and what age were you? Again? And he, I'm sorry. What age were you? Again? I was 23 and he was 26. And, uh, and I, it was my home. He walked in, we were sitting there visiting and then we had a little tiff, no big deal, you know, didn't think much about it. And then he walked straight in into my bedroom. I had a small little 
Derringer just for safety and um, he shot himself and I did CPR and uh, got, you know, a neighbor to help me and they called 911 and the ambulance and came and then they set up a landing zone for the helicopter and they flew him to Fort Worth and he died uh, in Fort Worth. He flew, in, he died in the helicopter, but they called it in Fort Worth. But I went on from there into paramedicine to try to put my hands on people. And I know now that I was trying desperately to give back what I couldn't save for years. And I drank about that and over that for a long time. And I didn't know, I knew I didn't pull the trigger, but I didn't know it wasn't my fault for a long time. And so here I was working in trauma after having lived through trauma, you know, from from being 12, 13 years old and there being sexual abuse and then being in high school and then sexual violence with someone I knew and then moving into a domestic violence relationship and then accepting that as, as it were, because I didn't understand that that's not what love was. And then moving from that into another one. And then that being the last person that put his hands on me. And then here's the man I find and he's on the white horse, you know, and then he dies. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't stop. But meanwhile, I drank through all of that, not because of it, just during it to insulate against all of it. So I move to East Texas. I make a geographical move after the guy dies. Um, It's a small town where I was living and he was living. We didn't cohabit. He had his own home and he had a son and, and I, we were to marry. We talked about it. We were going to marry and that'll be 23 years in October. It's time has gone by so fast and I never, there's not a day I don't think about that. Um, But I put my hands on other people. You know, John, the last call I ran on the ambulance was a man who shot himself in the head and didn't live. And that was the last call I ran. And I remember crying and thinking I've served my purpose. It had been years. And I said, Father God, I'm finished. Like I'm finished. That was the last one. It wasn't the only one I'd ever run, but it was the last one. And when I got out of paramedicine, I was drinking. Just real quickly. Yeah. And I want to get on with your career too, but you, you, you lightly touched on it. You don't have to go deep on this, whatever you want to do, but you talked about sexual abuse when you were a kid, uh, a, a violent, an assault as, as well. And I, I just, it, for people out there, I, I think that is important if you want to say any more about it. A hundred percent. And the reason why I think it's important is because even going to work in in EMS, you run all those calls, right? So I could always identify to some degree and on some level with victims or situations. So my father died when I was 11 and somebody that I knew and had grown up with um, put his hands on me and was inappropriate with me over and over and over. And unfortunately, no one believed me. And that's, a, and that's another part of of therapy today, right? And, um, you know, without any specifics and who, where, and why, and um, that was difficult. So you stop telling, you stop trying to tell people. So then I went and met my brother and stayed over there with he and his wife and children that summer after, and I got to drink for the very first time. And I got to feel as grown up as I had been pretending to be. But that was the summer after, you know, that had happened. And it happened all summer and no one believed me. And then when, you know, finally they did. And just, I want to, because this always boggles my mind. When you said no one believed me, like, you don't have to get real specific, but it was like, would they just like say you're, you're making this up or, uh, or, okay. Just just sort of, um, 
I, I think it was trying to tell family members I trusted, hey, something's not right here. I don't like this. And you know what? You guys are kids or just, you know, after school hours. I was a latchkey kid. So there wasn't anybody there or no adult supervision. And then trying to have that conversation, you know, with an adult and say, hey, it was just sort of dismissed as child play, horseplay. That would be the easiest way to say it. Yeah. And and move on. Gotcha. And so, you know, and that's what you do. You think, well, okay, then that's just what it was at 12 years old. But mm-hmm. you know in your insides that you it we didn't feel okay and it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And then, so then I, like I'd said earlier in the other, you know, um, session that we did, I was hanging around with the wrong kids and doing all the things and wearing the black and hanging out in the mall, the mall rats, they used to call us. And just any group that would accept me, social butterfly. But then what happens is I get into a relationship at age 15 with a 19-year-old. Now, I'm looking at older. There's always older because I've lost my father. I'm looking for older for secure, for protection, for safety. Well, this individual ends up being a drug addict and alcoholic. I don't even know that if he even knew that back then. But I knew that something was wrong. But this man continuously violated me sexually. But I did not know that because I shouldn't, number one, have probably been that you know active but I was acting out. I, I was finding love air quotes here. You can't see me, the listeners, but he loved me. And I was always going to protect that relationship because he loved me. And, you know, that's a bit facetious to say, you know, in that way. And that's what happened with the next one. I lost my first child with, you know, the abuser that I was with at age 21. I was pregnant and I lost my first child through the hands of that, uh, that abuser. And, um, so you said, you just said first child, I was pregnant twice. So I lost my first one pretty far along, lost my, yeah. And so a decision, you know, had to be made to, to help that along. And it was difficult. It was terrible. And, um, you know, there's a whole nother story behind that, that, and then, and then I ended up, you know, going on with life, but through the abuse, I didn't deal with any of that until I got sober and I didn't deal with it. Um, Dion, she's now gone. She has 47 years. She died with 47 years sober. Dion used to say to me, um, you don't have to figure out how the house is on fire. You just get out of it and we'll get you in therapy when it's time, but you don't need to go till about a year and a half. I don't, I mean, it was about a year and a half before I went because she, you know, was afraid that I would probably drink. I wasn't ready to talk about all these old wounds, you know, and things. So I think it's important to talk about the sexual abuse. And I do talk about it in, and I talk about the domestic violence when I give a talker, I'm asked to speak, but I t- at a high level, right? Not with this kind of granularity because there are so many of us who, especially like I told you earlier that with my restricting and my eating disorder or just having a head of lettuce for, you know, to last me for three days, right? Or whatever that is, what whatever it is, I mean, I kind of joke today because I don't have an eating disorder, uh, I don't think, uh, when things are going well. But I will joke today, like, oh, I think I'm just going to have an ice salad for lunch. But that's really not funny because it's true. People have an ice salad, if you will. We just kind of, you know, we we just become callous to our own issue and own insecurity. And, you know, but I think it's important to for me to be judicious around who I joke, right, number one. But there are women and men who are struggling with these issues inside and out of the room. And a lot of times for me, I drank 
to keep the four horsemen and the despair and the bewilderment and the fear of the tear, all of it away from me and the guilt and the shame that others had. I just carried it. I, I couldn't tell anybody because if I told, then I, then I, then I didn't love him anymore. If I if I told on my abuser, the one that was super violent in high school, then I didn't love him anymore. That that must have meant I didn't love him. So I drank. I got my first EWI at seventeen in high school. I mean, I mean, I was already loaded, and it's not cool. Like nobody's going, oh, ooh, you got arrested. I mean, no, I really barely made it out of high school. I didn't have any friends. Now that I have Facebook friends from high school, and they see me, they're like. You know, wow, like what happened to you? Where did you go? Where you have come a long way. So my career, I digress, because let me turn back to that. So my career from the abusive side of things in EMS is sort of packed on a layer of now I'm getting paid to work in it. So I've, I've come through it. I'm still not sober. Now I'm working in it. And then eventually I burn out. I worked that last um, gunshot wound to the head. And that was just about the last call. And so I transitioned from that into some administrative work and then into construction development. And I worked with a gentleman out in East Texas. I just want to say real quick, I noticed that, uh, so we went to a meeting uh, earlier and I noticed that you, when you were parked, your truck was backed up. And then I noticed that when we came here to my house, you backed up your truck. And because I used to be in safety training, I know that there's, there's this whole culture. There were, basically, the idea is that if something blows up, you don't have to back up and you can escape quickly, right? So that's where you get this from construction, I'm assuming? No, oh. no. That is, um, I lived in the country for a long time. I had trailers and I would back up trailers. <laughs> And it's the fir- you need to be able to get out. <laughs> I always need to be able to get out. And so I'm not necessarily loading down. I'm not loading anything construction wise in that pickup. You know what I'm saying? But in right. my past, in my past, yes, I back up just so I can nose out. I'm surprised I didn't have a cone I put in front of it. You know, <laughs> out in your driveway. But I, I think it's it's a bigger truck and it's easier for me to see getting out than risk. You know, we didn't have the backup cameras when I was first started driving trucks. So it's a habit. Yeah. And I like to be able to (laughs) nose out out and get out, have a quick getaway, you know, (laughs) I like, yes, I probably didn't back up throughout my drinking career because I never had quick getaways. I was either hostage or taking them. So, uh, All right, so you got into construction. Yeah, By it. the way, I mean, you, a, a woman in construction, there you go, a little well, different again or what? Well, at this time, I'm still, I mean, I'm younger. This is 2006 and I'm still administrative side of it. I'm going to meetings, planning and zoning commission. I'm helping build and develop um, actually in, in East Texas, literally where there are hospitals, trading land, building land, um, I mean, building buildings on raw land, and then actually a subdivision. I worked for a gentleman who had um, a couple of different companies, and then he dissolved those and moved to California. But over time, as he was dissolving them, I, I worked a little bit remotely. Uh, at that time, back then, we weren't as much online as we are certainly now. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Houston, followed a guy, and uh, that's a big part of my story, too. We got a couple of few marriages. 
We'll have to go there another time probably, but, um, we got time, you know, I mean, (laughs) I joke all the time. I haven't been arrested or or married since I got sober and it's like a real thing. It's a big deal, you know, because there's plural, you know, bless their hearts. Right. But, and I think today I was even sharing at a meeting, like, you know, I'm not a felon. I mean, convicted, like we're all either, all of us are either convicted or not felons, like some way or the other. But anyway, I moved from that role into a more, um, into another administrative role that took me to moving our office because he dissolved those companies. And now I'm back in DFW after moving, following a guy coming to Dallas, Fort Worth. I'm living with my mom. I'm drinking out of the closet where I was raised. I'm still doing the deal. I'm trying to keep, just trying to keep it together just to get a paycheck, you know, just trying to get on my feet. Then I move out. I have a job that requires me to work with a landlord to move into a new space and so I liked the idea of working for the landlord more than the company I was with mm. when I moved to the office. And so I stayed on her and then she brought me on board and um, I followed up, followed up, followed up with her. She said she was looking for help and I ended up going to work for her for three years. And what I did for her was read and write leases. I did everything from accounts payable to showing properties to managing industrial multifamily. There was one owner out of California, so I didn't need a license to do it. It. And I learned so much from this woman. And, and she actually worked with my schedule and she allowed me to go to school. So huh. that's where I went back to school and got my undergraduate degree at UTA. And once I got my undergraduate degree, I moved to Dallas. I'm sorry, working in Dallas, moved to working in Dallas. That's when I started finding the Carrollton Group. I would slide over from Addison, you know, Beltline, you know. And and then I would also go over there to Dallas North. And I really loved that too. But I... um. I moved from that role into somebody calling me because now I was online LinkedIn or what have you. And someone called me from another company and asked me to come to work in a larger environment, which was um, industrial real estate for oil and gas. And I would be managing larger facilities. So now I'm going from property, man- like just leasing and paperwork and administrative and, you know, this to property management, you know, hey, our roof is leaking or our toilet's running or something like this to now it's like, hey, our cranes and our pipelines, all these things, you know, and I'm a tomboy, although feminine, but I'm a tomboy and I love it. Get out there in my boots and jeans and then I'm backing in my truck and you can't see me doing my steering wheel, but I'm doing, you know, I, I love it and I'm traveling, you know, all over and I can really understand what these guys are looking for. And there is a network of good old boys out there, and I fit right in. Right. And it worked for me. Um, unfortunately, there was a downturn in, um, you know, in, in the industry, and I was laid off. And then was unemployed for nine months, and during sobriety, it was difficult because I had found an identity in my job instead of my identity and self with God as my higher power. Mm-hmm. And we do that inadvertently, I think, because me, I did that wanting so badly to finally become someone that I had my identity was who I was at work you know that this is who I am so what my business card said or whatever and and you know I felt when you we lose jobs you know we we mourn those jobs we grieve and then all of a sudden it was our fault or it's not and so I got picked up by another outfit and um right before I got the new job I had to have a hysterectomy and I was young, I was, I was 39, and right, I was young for a hysterectomy. 
it was medically necessary and unfortunate because I didn't have any children. And while I was working on the ambulance, I was married again in East Texas two more times, um, which we'll go there another time. But um, my first ex-husband, he and I, we got pregnant and I lost that child. So that was the second baby I didn't get to have. So now here I'm faced with absolution. I mean, 100% absolution. I am not going to be able to have children, you know, naturally. So, you know, at 39, I was, I was okay with that, but not okay with you taking the choice for me, but I wanted to be healthy. And at this time I was just had precocious anemia. I was very sick all year. It, it was, we had tried conservative methods and the doctor said, this is what we need to do. And so, um, you know, that happened. I will tell you that I had a gift the morning of uh, my hysterectomy and, um, I don't know why I'm going here except for the work thing, but I uh, was employed and I saw that morning before I left, before I left for surgery, God gifted me the glimpse of an 18 year old boy and a 13 year old girl as an image in the doorway of my bedroom as I was getting to leave. And the boy was dark headed and dark-eyed, and he had his hands on the shoulders of this girl. You just imagine sort of a translucent image, and she had long brown curly hair and blue eyes, and she put her hands out, and she said, it's time. So I got to see my two babies all these years later, and God gifted me that vision, and I believe that with my whole heart. I didn't make that up, and then I had the hysterectomy, and I was fine. I was fine with it, and... um. Then the job I was in was in school, early education. So God knew already that I was going to be around all these babies and screaming little toddlers when I went into construction and maintenance of these little schools. Mm-hmm. So that's the beauty in the relationship with God that so many of us miss out on when we come in here and get sober. The the gifts, you know, I had written those babies' letters and I got to see what they look like <sighs> at 18, probably 18, 13 years old, you know. I can still see him standing there. And um, so the job I was in at the time was I managed 300 schools in 10 states, and I had 27 men on the ground that that reported to me. And they were facilities maintenance guys, and they went into all these schools. And then I had contractors, about 150 of them, if not more, um, you know, from every angle, groups of folks, not just 150 contractors. And I had four peers for the rest of the nation. We all did sort of the same thing. I was the only woman in the field uh, in at this particular role. And um, and then I met the glass ceiling. And I, there was no more further for me to go with this employer. And I had learned and I have continued to learn in sobriety that, you know, I have to be judicious and careful um, of my arrogance and my ego can sometimes get in the way. But I'm also not a doormat. Right. And the individual for whom I was working, the the individuals for whom I was working were not allowing me to grow. And one of them said, you'll never promote under my leadership. And I was like, that is, who says that, right? So I cried privately and because uh, I'd applied for a role twice now and uh, was passed up on. And then I applied for for this current role I'm in and it was to be a promotion. It was a one role, and then I was promoted to where I am now. But the biggest piece and the biggest takeaway from my last job 
was that the men that worked for me respected me and I respected them. And after all of the trauma that I have survived, I got to treat them with dignity and respect. And they, they reported to me and they were loyal to me. And even the ones who didn't really care to work for a woman worked for me and we worked together and I didn't treat them with any kind of disrespect because it wasn't their mistakes or their past to make up for. It was my history and my life. So I worked program on them all day, <laughs> every day, and on me. And how I treated them was my responsibility. And I carried two of those. I brought two of those people with me into this current role. And I kind of stole them from that company. And you know, John, I, I was hired at this organization as also private schools. I was hired to build um, a facilities department because we didn't have one. And I brought over an individual that worked for me. And we were rocking along. And and I guess a year and a half after he was with me, he took his own life at 5.15 in the morning. He hung himself. Oh. And he was a good kid. He was a young man I'd been grooming for like five years. And he had a young wife and young children. And he was a combat veteran and a wounded warrior. And that, in sobriety, was a breaking point for me. I've had, a, I've had three surgeries successfully on my heart. I've had a surgery on my shoulder. I've had the surgeries, I call them surgeries, they're procedures, but when they're your heart, I mean, we can pontificate a little bit. <laughs> so, or like exaggerate. But I didn't have anesthesia with the heart surgeries or the heart procedures. I had to feel it all because if they gave me anesthesia, they couldn't find the problem. I've had the hysterectomy. I've had my broken clavicle. I've had, you name it. I've lived through those things. I've buried all the pets I brought into sobriety. But when this individual took his own life, it was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And in this role currently, I, uh, in this role currently, I, um, I now, it has evolved into more of a renovation, rebranding and construction and light, ma you know, light construction and maintenance. I don't build ground up. Um, they promoted me to vice president of asset management no. from a girl who used to sleep in her truck with her dogs and her cat, you know, but I, I, I sometimes believe that imposter syndrome, I, they're going to find out who I am, but I'll tell you that I went back and got somebody else that used to work for me at the other company because of the respect and the rapport built, yeah. right? And because of the healing, because of the step work, because of the therapy, because it's a great sponsorship and a relationship with God. Because in meetings and listening to you people and watching others, you know, go before me, I was able to change my behavior and know that these people didn't cause my problems. I'm not a victim. I don't live in a victim martyr mentality. I, I, I live in a survivor mode and here's the life raft and let me pull you over. And what I'll tell you is when that man took his own life, it was the straw that broke the camel's back on the therapy that I had not yet allowed myself. And I had a, a breakdown, literally emotional breakdown. And my sponsor walked me through it that morning, literally to the medicine that I took to the call that I made to the appointment with the therapist to the every single step. Had I not had a sponsor because of Alcoholics Anonymous and the suggested this tools that we use and the things that we do, and had I not had a meeting place to go to, had I not all those things, I don't think I would have made it. I began to peel away layers of trauma that I had not yet touched. And now I'm in a place where there's some things I'm not yet ready to talk about. 
um, just from a perspective of, you know, family members and experiences and things I'm learning how I behave today or probably a result of certain things that had happened in childhood and nobody's fault in particularly. Um, but I do know that we can survive anything as long as we don't drink. And I know that even when I'm weak or if I have a lot going on, um, you know, my, my bosses, they rallied around me. You know, my boss knows that I'm in recovery and he was like, you make as many meetings as you need to make. And I knew this because he started speaking our language when I first started about a month into our, my relationship with my report to the president of the organization. It turned out his brother is one of us Uh and I, I could hear the language, but his brother died two years ago, unfortunately. Um, but you know, they rallied around me. That's the job I have today still. Um, it'll, I'm coming up on four years with them. Uh, I have a great team that works for me and I travel the United States and I go to different places. I, they call me, I'm the one that comes in and disarms folks, but they also call me the heavy. I kind of like that. (laughs) I like to be the heavy. I'm the negotiator. And so what I do for a living is light construction and maintenance and literally rebranding and renovating these buildings that are a white box and turning them into a school. Um, and you know, I have the respect of colleagues and others, and then I get to mentor those who I, you know, bring on board or, or who reach out to me through LinkedIn or whatever. And even in meetings, I actually have a few individuals who've asked to switch business cards and collaborate. So that's where I am. That's my career. That's what I do. Yeah. There was something else I wanted to talk to you about, um, because you talked about it a lot from the podium when I heard you speak. And uh, this is just a, a little bit more of a lighter note. I don't know. It could turn a little bit heavy. Who knows? But you talked about uh, dating and the apps <laughs> and all that. And, and I, I have not been. So, so I, you know, I, I've been married now for over 20 years. And, and it just wasn't as big of a thing, I guess, back then. But I know you've had... <laughs> experience dating and i'd just like you to kind of talk yeah. about oh, yeah your dating experiences and those apps and how, how do you, you mentioned several different apps they were like i don't know like bumble or something <laughs> yeah well it's like not to plug them all but the, <laughs> you know i'm not on any apps now as a matter of fact i've surrendered i surrendered and i i gave it to god i continue to give it to, you know give my dating life to God. And, you know, I had said earlier, I haven't been arrested or married since <laughs> I got sober. Um, I got married young. I married a man really young. He was in the military. I met him through a girlfriend in the military up in New York. And we, we talked on the phone back at, I mean, we're talking 26, 28 years ago. I mean, and we, you know, our phone, 45 cents a minute kind of calls back before we had all this unlimited, you know, and we had that annulled because he came home and got married that same day. Um, that he flew in because he was active military. And so then we had it annulled like two weeks later. And then I married again. He was terribly abusive, had that annulled. Two marriages, two divorces. So I only, when I'm on these apps, I say divorce twice if I talk to them, right? But I swipe, you know, left and right. And I joke all the time in meetings, you know, I'm the type of alcoholic who... Okay, wait, 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 just real quick. Swiping left means... No. 
Swiping the left is no. Right. But swiping right means yes. you possibly. But yeah. Well, if I swipe left, it's no. He could have swiped right. But if I swipe right and he swipes right, we match. Ah. That's what happens. So two two rights so, make a match. Yeah. Two rights are make a right. So or an op- <laughs> or an opportunity to see. Right. And what do you see on the like? It, obviously, it's a picture. And then do they like describe them? Some so? of them do, and some of them put the you know some ding dong something about nothing. You know, or like my you know I like guacamole and chips and salsa and they put not some guys put nothing so we've come as a society down to which is funny because my undergrads in sociology as a society we've come from meeting people organically at get-togethers yeah. to looking at a photo and judging nope <laughs> right. i mean but photo one usually doesn't look like photo three and i my picker has been like you know unwound and you know swirling around for a long time it's been broken i've been picking some pretty low-hanging fruit like i've been picking the pecan shells up after they've fallen like not even pecans in them so for me you know stepping up to a dating app where i pay a few dollars to get on it thinking okay oh, so okay so you pay a fee on the front end yeah some of them are free and for the most part they're free but if you you know you think you're going to get a little higher caliber if you pay no locale pay too Okay, it's the truth. Locale pay. And now, you know, in AA, when we say, you know, stick with the winners and people are like, how do you know who's a winner? We rotate. So, you know, some days I'm not high cal, you know, I'm low caliber too. It just depends on who's swiping. And then there are other apps where you've got match and there's this or there's eHarmony or there's whatever. You know, I've tried everything except surrendering to God and giving it to him, right? So... I t- my sponsor's like, are you still doing that? I said, no, I quit. That's what I was saying. No. I mean, did you ever have any su- I mean, yeah, success? I mean, know, yeah, I met a few broken folks that didn't have their <laughs> stuff together, you know, one or two decents. But my sponsor will say, I thought you quit those apps. I'm like, I did last night at 10. <laughs> and then I, I picked it back up today at noon. But yes, I had a relationship. I met an individual one time uh, a couple of years ago, and we dated for the better part of a year. Not one of us. There's a lot of us on there. Yeah. I see a lot of us from the rooms, and I'm immediate. That's a no. Oh, <laughs> I'm just being real. Not gonna do it. I mean, if we meet organically and something transpires in the room, that's not where I go to meet people. But sometimes having coffee or with a group, you know. Do people ever say on there like I'm part of a twelve step group? Or I something? say I'm sober. Okay. There's actually now several different that say. Do you, they they give you options? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you exercise? Whatever, mm-hmm. and then within those, the drop down there are fields. So it's like rarely, socially, never or sober. Yeah. So they've kind of started, you know, yeah. and yeah. I, so I usually just put never or sober, and then I just put don't drink, don't smoke, no kids, divorce, you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, you know, I've met some characters. I've met some guys where I, I've had I've, is annulment one of the choices no i never say i've been married four times i just say i'm divorced twice because <laughs> two annulments don't make yeah that so and then if they're you know if we get past like a date three then i may see how this is going and you know but as an alcoholic like i was saying earlier i can get to a stop sign and say how are you doing and then be picking out curtains and furniture by, by stop sign three he's never even looked over at me so this isn't going to work out clearly i'm gonna have to file yeah, so I mean, I, I can get on an app and be like, this guy right here, this photo, I'm looking at my hand for the listeners. I'm like, this guy right here, and I are going to have a great house and some land, a bunch, I can see some farm animals. He doesn't even swipe on me. <laughs> you know, I'm worried about getting married and I don't even have a date. 
You know, that's my, I am insane sometimes about that stuff, but I have a good time with it. Now I've surrendered uh, to God sincerely. God, I'm going to give my personal and my dating life to you. And that's the hardest thing to do because we get bored. And in sobriety, like I have a job and I'm actually amassed for advice and suggestions and I'm the expert in some areas. And then I have girlfriends in the group and they're married or they have children or whatever. And I've got all these boxes checked, if you will, except that one. Mm -hmm. And so I become impatient. And so I don't want to sit on my hands. And so then I turn back and I take, I go step one, two, and three, and then I take it right back. And I put the app back on my phone and start swiping. You know, did you know, John, there are groups on Facebook that says, are we dating the same guy? And there are thousands of women in there. And there are men from these apps put on there. And there are hundreds of women. Oh, really? Red flag, red flag. Here's the tea. Spill the tea. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> there are some cities like New York. They've been asked to take them down. There were millions in that group. Some big <laughs> cities in the United States, they have been asked to take those groups down. But there are people on the apps I've seen. And I'm like, I'm glad I didn't go out with that cuckoo. I mean, you know. So at the end of the day, I finally unhooked the apps. I trust God. I'm like, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna give this to you. Whenever you're ready and you think I'm ready, bring them to me. So that's where we are. It's a mess. It's a mess out there. So no, no annulments. They don't ask for that. Just two divorces. We have covered a lot over two episodes. Okay, so I, I want to kind of wind us down here. Sure. But I definitely wanted to talk about the apps. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, it's, 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 I like to live vicariously through <laughs> other people now as well. But <clears throat> you have a lot of people listening to you that uh, are, I don't know, they're, they're they're skirting around the edges of like either getting sober or you know Alcoholics Anonymous or joining some sort of twelve step program. I just want you to talk about um, give some experience, strength, and hope around what you have experienced so far, and uh, just just kind of tell people you know what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for you. And I don't I, I I trust that you can take my bumbled words there. Oh, bumble. I used that. Ah, buzz. <laughs> buzz, and it actually has bees. Buzzword. Buzz. It does. They have bees on their app. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, just kind of give like a, a, a final parting message, whatever that would be. Sure. Sure. It's not hard. You know, I've, I've seen a number of different. I, you know, Facebook or social media, if you could talk about anything for five minutes or 50 minutes or an hour, you know, with no problem at all, what would it be? And this is what it would be. It would be that Alcoholics Anonymous and finding a relationship with my higher power, the one that I knew as a child, the one in the pictures in Sunday school that I get to know as an adult today in my own way, not like my mom and not like my sister and not like anybody else in my family. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous gave me a relationship with a God that I could trust, who I could trust. Um, I have, through working the 12 steps and having sponsorship with strong women who've worked the steps and continue to work the steps and who have sponsors, um, that's important, I have been able to develop some self-esteem. Mm -hmm. I came in in the red 
And it's still sometimes teeters down there, that meter, you know, if you were looking at a little gauge or a meter or needle. But I have self-worth today. I have self-worth today because, because of the women that I choose to surround myself with and the women that have sponsored me and the woman who sponsors me today and my relationship with God. I act in ways that are becoming I continue to educate myself. You know, I went on, I told you I got an undergraduate degree, and then I got a master's degree, and then I got a real estate license, only because I never thought I could. And I wanted more, and I wanted more. And then I thought, well, I'll just get a PhD. I don't need a PhD, but you know how alcoholic we can be about that. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I, Alcoholics Anonymous gave me an identity without it having to have strings or connection to anything else. My relationship with, with God, as I've mentioned a number of times, is paramount because I am forgiven and I have forgiven my predators and those who have harmed me. And I have forgiven them in my own way and on my own terms. And I have found freedom. And with that freedom, I have the freedom of choice have the freedom of who I'm around, why I'm around, where I go. I have an incredible opportunity to be of service to God and to others every day in my role, just simply by the way I treat people. When I'm in the airports, that's when we really see our selfishness, I'll tell you. But when I'm in the airports, when I'm on the planes, when I'm spiritually fit, I'm of service, because there's days I'm not. You know, let's be real. It's a whole other rabbit hole. Alcoholics Anonymous gave the little girl inside of me a band-aid so she could heal. And she's continuing to heal. I mentioned Andrea earlier. That's my, my full name is Andrea, my first name. You know, I don't necessarily know if I'll ever go by Andrea, but that little girl is healing. And I am able to work with other women and some men. I work with men in all capacities. I'm not their sponsors. But I can, I'm safe. You know, I, I got sober. March was 14 years, and I like to be considered safe. I'm not a predator. I'm not working on any other angle except if you need a business suggestion or advice or whatever, um, or my wife or my girlfriend, whatever. I get to do so many things. I mean, John, I travel the world today. The girl who used to sleep in her truck or find herself hungover blacked out on the side of I-20 with two dogs and a cat who couldn't pay rent. Today, I'm going to Egypt. I went to Antarctica. You know, I carry the message when I do go to these places. I talk to women, to young women and to young adolescent women in Oklahoma. I've been called to come up and speak to them about abuse, sexual abuse, how to take care of themselves, the dignity and dating and knowing who you are and making sure that you know who you are before you find someone to make you whole. It is God who makes us whole. So I have experienced in a very short time because my sobriety is 14 years, I look forward to 44, right? In a very short time, I have grown from being a shadow and a shell to a woman who can stand up straight in a room full of people. And even though I'm insecure, and sometimes I still feel like I don't fit in and I don't deserve this gift, I can still stand up and put my hand out 
and sometimes I act as if, and some days I know I'm okay. But I have been granted the gift of choice, and I know that today I'm no longer a hostage. I will not be taken hostage, and I don't take any emotional hostages. I don't just get married to make sure he loves me and that I can start a new future with him and close the old chapter and avoid feeling that. I told you earlier, I buried all the pets I brought into sobriety with me. You know, I've lived through some incredible pain and surgeries and illness and and Alcoholics Anonymous and my relationship with God, God is first in the AA has given me hope, and I am just a vehicle fueled by hope because I see others who've walked before me and gone before me, and I want what they have. Not all of them, right? We know that. But I want what they have, and I want to leave behind something somebody wants or at least walk in such a way that a woman may be attracted and come to me and say, hey, I have an eating disorder. Hey, I'm hurt. Hey, I've been victimized. I drink because of this. And I want to be able to stick my hand out and be responsible and say, here's my life raft. Get on it and I'll pull you over. Because we have to transition and then we have to get busy over here too. We can't just get out of the house. We have to actually get into the new one and set it up and live in it too. So I don't know if that leaves anybody with hope, but it sure is experience. And it's given me strength to work through what hasn't killed me. <laughs> it's only made me stronger. The cliche of all cliches. So that's it. Well, it gives me hope. Uh, it gives me strength. And uh, I knew uh, it was going to be a great conversation with you. Uh, you know, we've had these two episodes here and I uh, can't wait to release them. Um, and I'm so and uh, in, in, as you know, I pray before these things that uh, hopefully that me and the guest, in this case you, that can, we can grow closer to each other. I feel closer to you. Um, it's interesting when you can come in and just uh, share one-on-one with somebody uh, what that does. And I'm, I'm so glad that you came over and you were willing to come over here and share your experience, strength, and hope. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate you allowing me to be so vulnerable. I appreciate the listeners who, you know, can can hear and maybe find something that makes sense. And um, I really, truly consider it an honor. And I thank you again for having me. But of course, thank you so much. As always, we're going to wrap it up here with page 164 from the big book. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Andy V. As you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Andy, thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andy. It was a pleasure spending time with you in Studio AA. I know the listeners are going to get so much out of that. If you are out there, I ask you a favor. Please pause your device that you're listening on and share that episode 
and the one before Andy's first part with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. We don't want you sharing your gossip, but we would love for you to share that episode with a friend or family member. Thanks again, Andy. I really appreciate it. Now on to a little bit of listener feedback. And the first piece of listener feedback comes from <laughs> Mike. Mike, uh, his the, t- the subject line is the snail mail department of Sober Speak. So let me remind you, um, Mike, well, in fact, he's going to tell a little bit of his story here and what I... Um, Uh, end up. uh, Well, let me read this first and then I'll give you the address. So he says, Hey, John, the snail mail department is slowly moving forward. Well, that would be apropos for a snail mail department. He says, we got another letter from Rocco this week and he says, you're a celebrity to him. (laughs) Rocco, uh, I appreciate it, my friend, but you need you need to aim higher in terms of celebrities. <laughs> but I'm glad that uh, you're able to listen. And he says, you're like a celebrity to him, and he would rather meet you than the President of the United States. <laughs> oh, I started to get a little uh, bit political there, but I'm not going to do that. I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, Rocco, uh, I appreciate your uh, admiration. But like I said, uh, probably best to aim it somewhere else. He says, uh, and then Mike says, you really have no idea how much you help guys in prison with the podcast. Thanks for all you do. <sighs> I know this is true for me as well, says Mike. Now a little update about me to let the guys on the inside know life does get better when you get out. I have been out for a little over four months now, and I have gotten a second car for the family. My wife already had hers, and I have a permanent job. I was working temp, and we have moved to a two-bedroom from the hotel that we were in. Not saying this has been easy. A lot of places don't want to rent to felons, but you can find those who will, If you stay honest before you give the application fee, it does get frustrating, but it can be done. Trust the God of your understanding to guide you and it'll work out even when it doesn't look good. Until next time from the snail mail department of Sober Sober Speak, uh, peace and blessings, Mike. Well, Mike, I I wrote you about that particular piece of listener feedback uh, got me at the right time when I was struggling myself with some things going on in my life, high bottom problems, as they call it. And um, um, I am so, uh, so grateful for you. And uh, I'm glad that uh, we can be in this thing together, man. So thank you so much. So let me go back to what I was going to say on the front end. And that is, Mike reached out to me after he had gotten out. And he said that there are a lot of inmates who are unable to uh, email and that he would volunteer to monitor a post office box, which we have set up. Uh, for inmates or really anybody else who wants to write in 
Um, so let me give that address again. It's a, and we're kind of giving this a trial run through the end of the year. Uh, I've talked to Mike about it. We're going to see what kind of response we get. Uh, hopefully it's so overwhelming that we don't end the program, so to speak. But uh, uh, it is, if you want to write in or via snail mail, it's Soberspeak, 1962 East Apache Boulevard, P.O. Box 7925, Tempe, Arizona, 85281. Once again, that's Soberspeak, 1962 East Apache Boulevard, P.O. Box 7925, Tempe, Arizona, 85281. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Mike, for monitoring that email box or for that post office box. I appreciate it. This next one is from Heidi writes in. (laughs) And I'm laughing because of the subject line. She says, Heidi, 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 ho. (laughs) She says, John, apologies in advance for the long email. And by the way, this one is, I don't even know what that emoji is, but this one is chock full of emojis. Heidi (laughs) really likes the emojis. She says, my name is Heidi B. And I wrote in at the end of June after listening to your story, John, episode number 272. Since I last wrote, uh, as started, oh, since I last wrote, I started back at episode one and I just finished episode number 282. David G. Carry this message. I absolutely love David G. You may not remember this since I'm still more than 20 episodes behind, but at one point, a loyal listener, Quan wrote in and said he was slacking by listening to Sober Speak only 30 hours a week. <laughs> I remember Quan, yes. And I totally get that. I've taken nine weeks to get through 282 episodes. <laughs> well, you're on a record pace. Okay, and then the emojis. I try to explain it. It's like a monkey covering its eyes and then a big like a a surprised emoji. I don't know what it is. And then she says, there are certain guests that I just have to listen to multiple times. People like David G and Matthew M are my all-time favorites. Oh gosh, there's also Reno John and Gary K. Oh, and Brian P and Casey and Marty. And of course, there are the classics, Charlie P, Mark H., Joe Hawk, Joe and Charlie. I love them all. Big uh, heart emojis. And oh, I think that's like a crying emoji. And then an emoji with, I don't know, red stars on the eyes. I don't know (laughs) what that means. But she says, when I see one of my favorites coming up next, I just go ahead and set the episode to replay immediately after the first time I listen to him. And then a bunch of laugh out loud uh, emojis. And she says, I'll admit, I'm kind of jealous that I'm not in AA, like all the cool folks. <laughs> I'm in OA. I'm in OA, but my recovery in OA includes abstinence from alcohol. Does that count? Yeah, to me it does. It's, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
I was just leaving a meeting today and there was a gentleman who has been, he'd been coming to our group for quite some time. And when it came time to introduce himself, he would always say, I have a, I have a desire to quit drinking as opposed to I'm an alcoholic. And then just today I noticed he was, uh, uh, he was an. He says, "I'm an alcoholic," as opposed to, "I have a desire to quit drinking." I say, "Hey, when did that happen?" He said, "Ah, about a month ago." And, I, and me and another guy were standing there. Where we were like, "Well, welcome, <laughs> congratulations!" That's what everybody wants to be when they grow up is an alcoholic. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd be real jealous of that, but I, but I get it, Heidi. Uh, anyway, she says, uh, a side note, my father died from alcoholism at the age of 63 and I could have just as easily been an alcoholic, but the food was what got me. I stopped drinking long before I became abstinent with food because I knew how dangerous a path I was on. However, the fact that I could stop makes me think I got to be just a hard drinker. She says, okay, now back to the real point of my email. It was so cool to hear you read my email on the pod. Oh, I've never seen this. It's a... uh, it's a, 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 a microphone emoji. Maybe I should get to find one of those. And it was touching that you got so emotional. And then she has like a little teardrop emoji. You have such a big heart. And then the, the big heart emoji. She says, that the service that you provide through this podcast is immeasurable. Thank you and Shannon and Cassandra and the and the wonderful lady that does the episode descriptions. I hadn't seen her in a while. If there's anybody out there who'd like to do that, let me know. But anyway, and she says, and, every, and everyone else that helps in getting sober speak to my fingertips every week. I also want you to know that I was giggling right along with you when my name triggered that <laughs> Heidi, Heidi, Heidi ho song for you. Yes. Heidi, 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 Anyway, she says, sorry again for, and I'm skipping over about 20 emojis here, but she says, sorry again for the long note. After 282 episodes, there's so much that I want to say. Sober Speak is awesome, and I get so much out of it. Uh, and you, John, your interview style and pre and post ep commentary and the fun and authentic way you react, respond to listener feedback as you're reading it like this, I guess it is what sets this podcast miles above the rest. I really do not know what's up with all them haters. Neither do I. I don't know what they're doing out there. (laughs) Lastly, even though I don't do Facebook, I'm seriously considering creating a Facebook profile just so I can be in the super secret group, the super secret Facebook group. Anyway, I love you, John. Happy trudging. Heidi B. up in New York, sent from my iPhone. So, okay, so... And that's where my mind goes. I can hardly type that long of an email when I'm sitting down with my keyboard at a computer. I don't know how somebody does that on an iPhone, but I am very, very impressed. And as you know, Heidi, I responded to you and I said, you know, by the power 
invested in me, or excuse me, by the power, not invested, by the power vested in me by absolutely no one. I think you should be an honorary member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, you know more about AA than most people in AA know about AA. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, you're an honorary member. But anyway, thank you so much for writing in, Heidi. Heidi, Heidi, ho. Heidi, 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 ho. Hope all is well up there in New York. Karen DMs direct message for those of you who are uncool like me and don't know that. On the IG, she says, Hi, I just had my one year birthday, John, and I'm getting it. Each day more is revealed. I listen to your podcast during my drive to and fro work. It is an excellent way to keep in touch with my program. Uh, you are so genuine and funny too. And I have gotten so much from listening to all the shares. Thank you so much, John. Can you add me to the super duper Secret Facebook group. Thanks, Karen. Not the bad kind. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, your name has gotten a rap lately, hasn't it? I don't think you're the bad kind, Karen, at all. And as you know, Karen, we got you in that super secret Facebook group. And uh, congratulations on the one year. That's great. Kristen also direct messages on la instagram she says hey john love your podcast it's a recent addition to my toolkit what happened to my voice toolkit she says i've been sharing it amongst my sober tribe well thank you Kristen. That's a great, and that's what this podcast was always meant to be. It's not really a replacement for meetings or sponsorship or anything. It's just another tool in the toolkit, and I'm glad that you have gotten some benefit from it. Shane writes in, and he says, Hi, John. Just a quick note from Renfrew, Ontario, Ontario, Canada. And then he's got the big Canadian maple leaf flag. I love it when I see that. He says, I love the podcast just while I, oh, I listen while I am working. Keep it up. Great guests, stories of experience, hope and inspiration. Thank you so much. Happily trudging the broad highway, Shane M. You know, there are certain phrases that you hear where you know they're like key words to where you know people are in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that is trudging the broad highway. Uh, and there was anyway, j- just things like that. But thank you so much for uh, writing in, my friend, from up in the great white north. Give everybody up there our best. I mean, I guess when you say everybody up there, that, there's a lot of Canadians. That'd be really tough to do. But you get what I'm saying. Like, if you, in fact, if you run across people you know in meetings, I should probably be more specific, right? People that are in meetings um, and may want to know about the podcast, or just, even if they don't want to know about the podcast, just let them know that people down here in Texas are thinking of them, okay? We're all in this together. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Shane. Thanks for writing in. Lori writes in and she says, Hi, John. Thanks for the admittance into the Sober Speak 
FB group, Facebook. Well, the pleasure is all mine, Lori. She says, I have a job that frequently allows me to listen to the podcast as I work. After listening to other recovery podcasts, I found Sober Speak and I really enjoy it. Enjoy it. It is my meeting between meetings. I got sober in August 14th of 1985. Wow, she was sober a while there, uh, Laura. Wait a sec. Yes, Laura. I said Lori on the front end, but it's actually Laura. My bad. Anyway, uh, it's uh, between my junior and senior year in college. I have always found what I need in AA. Your podcast is another tool in the tool belt. Hey, uh, uh, the tool belt uh, theme is uh, coming in here. I have been feeling... over the years. Thank you so much for your service. I'll be listening some more. Laura T. Gracias, Miss Laura T. And then finally, last but not least, I guess they call it, uh, Juan writes in. And uh, by the way, Juan, there are several people in my home group that call me Juan M. Uh, but you are Juan C. But anyway, he says, hi, John. Uh, uh, my name is Juan C, and I am from Rancho Cucamonga, California. I think I'm saying that right. I've been there before, so I think I'm saying that right. He says, my sobriety date is March 18th of 2021. My home group is the Valley Alano here in RC. Yes, thank goodness. I'm sure that they must appreciate. I mean, no one could go around and say Rancho Cucamonga all the time. So the abbreviation is RC. And also the Stone Sober Man's Group meeting here in RC. (laughs) The Stone Sober Man's Group. (laughs) I like that. He says, I found your podcast doing a random search. Well, it was meant to be, Mr. Juan, and I loved it. I wanted, I want to say the first episode I heard was around 180. However, I wanted to hear them all. So I started from the uh, first episode, and I'm currently on episode number 127. I'm really grateful for your service. I have learned so many different points of view from the program, uh, of the program from your guests. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Juan C. Juan M. Saying thank you, gracias to Mr. Juan C. Thank you very much, sir. All right. I think that does it. I think, I don't know, I can go on and talk about it a little bit more, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, plus, my son is, is waiting to go out to dinner, and I love having dinner with my son. So I better get on out there, uh, take him out, and just have a little, you know, a little, little father-son time. Um, that's it. So what do I always say? Uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And then the other thing is, gosh, I can't remember. The other thing is from the big book. Uh, Oh, may God bless you and keep you until then. I take this, my friends, one uno semana at a time. And for those of you who are not an expert uh, and bilingual like I am, that means one week at a time. And I hope to be back next week. Until then, God bless you. Love you guys. Thanks for listening in.